Someone ever asked you, how are you doing? And you don't have a good answer for them. How are you doing? Okay. How was school? Fine. What'd you learn? Something. <laughs> how are you feeling? Fine. And we know fine can have a dozen variations. Or sometimes we just don't know how to put our, our thoughts into words to tell it. And then we think, should I really trust this person enough to tell them what I'm really thinking? Or do I, am I just polite and I'm faking it, right? These are scenarios and challenges that we, we face for ourselves. For moments like those, that is why God has given us the Psalms. And we've reminded ourselves of this wonderful song book that God has given us. Um, in the middle of our Bibles, full of direction about how to vocalize my frustrations, my concerns, how to talk to other people, how to talk to God himself with the variety of human emotions that I experience. And so we'll remind ourselves of these ideas as we give attention to Psalm 103 in particular. We'll look at these, this whole category of psalms. And this is what Pastor Tim walked us through the last week and then before that as well. These are the worship songs of God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament. Not just their songs, but our songs also. We'll finish by singing Psalm 103 at the end of our service. God has given us these glorious psalms to help us be able to sing to him. And they're also enabling us to put our emotions into words. Sometimes I can't express what's going inside. There are a variety of conflicting emotions, and so to be able to explain to somebody else what's going on inside can be difficult. And even to try and do that to God in, in what would be a respectful way, that's very hard to do. But I want to have God's help to do that. Um, what's also amazing about these psalms, they're not just happy psalms. It's not, I feel good. How can I tell God, tell God, thank you for how I feel in a positive way? They encompass the whole human experience. And so there are emotions of pure joy. Tremendous news. You've just been accepted. She's expecting. Glorious news. I'm forgiven? That doesn't haunt me anymore? Now that's time to exult in God's goodness and praise God. How can I put my joy into words? Let me turn to Psalms. Psalm 103. Okay, this is going to help me. Put my joy into words as I pray back to God and sing to him. But there are also times it's tremendous grief, mourning, deep, deep suffering, unspoken pain, a tragic accident, horrific abuse. How do I turn to God in those moments? I turn to the Psalms, and the Psalms give me the ability to express the deepest pain that I can possibly have to God in a way that resonates, and his fatherly heart sympathizes with mine, and he comes alongside, and Pastor Tim mentioned how many, many of the Psalms start with complaint, and by the end of that Psalm, the Psalmist has begun by just being very open and transparent with the Lord, and as they talk, they remind themselves of God's truth. And as they pray to God in their frustration and their pain, God's truth stabilizes their soul. So by at the time they finish the psalm, this prayer, they're thanking God. They're declaring again, I will still trust you in this very difficult time. He pointed us to this different set of stages that did not show up on the slide. Okay, well, it was supposed to show us the five different categories of psalms. There are psalms that lament our mistreatment, lead us to distress, and complaint to God, lament. But then it, it turns into a prayer request. 
and sometimes it morphs into a praise, and I'm thanking God for something. And then he delivers me, and I praise him for his goodness and his mercy on me as his child. Pastor Tim also mentioned the types of psalms. There are some psalms which really preview the work of the Messiah, Israel's Savior, the superhero they were still waiting for, the one who would come and conquer their enemies and bring peace to their hearts. We know that the Messiah was much bigger than they initially were thinking. And yet we recognize in these psalms times of deep, deep suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The deepest type of prayer we can pray. And to realize that the Messiah himself prayed that because he felt the deepest level of abandonment. And because he prayed that prayer, we never have to now. There are prayers of wisdom, psalms of wisdom, where we're just learning something new. We're learning how the righteous life looks and what the wicked life looks like in contrast with that. We read psalms appealing to God for justice. You see how the proud are oppressing all these people? To please, oh God, give heed to my cry. Give ear to my prayer. Pay attention. Let me present this situation to you. And God is the one who listens to those prayers of justice. And there are psalms of worship, pure joy, just astounding, amazing expressions of a heart full of gratitude to God for his goodness. God in his wisdom has given us these types of psalms to put our emotions into words in the presence of God. And that helps us and it restores us and it prods us forward in our life of faith. We've also mentioned that these are our poetry so these psalms are, are uniquely written, very carefully written, more than just stories. They are arranged in rhyming, not just with sound, but with meaning. If they rhymed just with sound, then the, the, then the effect would be trapped inside the Hebrew. Uh, but often the meaning is not the sound, it's in the idea. So instead of a, uh, a poem that says, Jack and Jill went up the hill, we would say, Jack and Jill went up the hill, brother and sister ascended the plane. Now, okay, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't rhyme, but I have two lines that help me understand exactly what's happening. To fetch a pail of water, to get a bucket to drink. Okay, I understand why they're doing it. And now when I translate it into many languages, all those languages help me understand the beauty and the parallel and, and, and the rhyme that is baked into these, this poetry. A lot of word pictures are used as well. We'll see some word pictures here in Psalm 103. But this is the backdrop to us. So what we'll do is we'll look at Psalm 103. We'll kind of walk, more likely jog through this psalm. As we do, we are going to be able to celebrate our fathers. We're going to recognize the challenges to what it means to be a godly father today. And we'll see this final call again and again and again. Let's follow our eternal father, our heavenly father perfectly. He is worth praising and it's worth reminding ourselves of things to praise him about. And so Psalm 103 starts us off this way. It starts us off with this personal summons, this call to praise. Verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So we're told, we're talking to whom? Who is the psalmist talking to? Who are they? Is it a prayer? It's not saying, thank you, God. Who is he talking to? Himself. He's talking into the mirror. It's a very odd kind of prayer. It's not a prayer. Excuse me, an odd kind of psalm. 
Bless the Lord, my soul. Hey, you, you in the mirror, bless God. He talks to himself. She talks to herself when she reads through this prayer. And we're to telling ourselves to bless God. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm better than God and I need to be a blessing to God. Bless the Lord. Help him out. He needs, some, he needs a helping hand. That's not the idea of blessing. Bless not as in be a help to God, but bless God as in recognize who he is and bring joy to his heart. Recognize his glory. Acknowledge his value. Worship him as a worthy God. Praise to God. And he says, everything inside of me, do it. Bless his name. Praise who he is. Bless the Lord, my soul. How am I going to do that? By not forgetting anything he does. And a parent can tell you, it's easy for kids to overlook things that the parents do for them. And yet for us as child, children of our Heavenly Father, to remember everything our Father has done for us, that could be a glorious thing. Dear Father, thank you for this. Thank you for this. I don't want to forget any of your benefits to me. And so there's this personal summons to praise our God. And so when we focus then on, on this personal summons, we could ask the next natural question, why? Why should I bless God? My life is difficult, thank you very much. It's hard for me to say thank you right now. Why can I say thank you? Well, he begins to walk us through these ideas, and you see them with me. What does God do for us? Let's read verses 3, 4, and 5 out loud. Can we do that? Why should I bless God? Who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And so we are telling ourselves to bless God. Why should we bless him? Did you notice all the universal language here? All of me, bless God for all he does. What does he do? Well, he pardons all of our iniquities. All of my iniquities is pardoned. We'll explore the idea of pardon in a moment, even in more detail. But that means every iniquity, everything that I've done that has crossed the line and broken God's law, called for his punishment on me, that iniquity is pardoned. It is gone. There is nothing left for Satan to accuse me of. My past doesn't haunt me anymore. My God has pardoned all my iniquities. And he is a God who heals all of my diseases. Every single one will be healed. He does not leave me trapped in a broken and a frustrated and a painful body forever. He will heal all my diseases. And there's a parallel here between those two ideas. Maybe these are diseases caused by sin, but we know all disease eventually comes from sin, right? It's a part of the fall. God's curse on this earth. And so we can praise God that one day our diseases will be healed. We can praise God for that fact. No limp, no allergy, no indigestion. Nothing is a challenge and one day our bodies will be fully glorified, fully restored. That is worth praising God for. Wouldn't that be funny if every time you have a, an ache or a pain or you try to get up, try to get up, oh, thank you, God, that this isn't forever. <laughs> thank you that that's one less morning I have to struggle to my feet. Uh, this is how I approach our Lord's table 
services every month. Lord, that's one less month that I'll have to wait to be in your presence and celebrate in person with you. Thank you, Lord. My diseases are so much closer to being healed. And so we can celebrate and praise a God who heals all of our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit. This pit, this, this trap, sometimes in the Psalms it's used to describe of someone digging a pit to trap or harm somebody else. Other times it's meant to describe a life-threatening situation. God delivered me from the pit, from this situation that was going to trap me and, and take, a, take me away forever. No, God redeems my life. He claims my life. I am not trapped in that situation. Nothing threatens me anymore because I have God. He is my defense. He is the one who will deliver me and ransom me, redeem me out of the pit that I am in. Praise God that he redeems us, he delivers us from every threatening situation. No trial is permanent. Praise God that our trials are temporary and they're guaranteed to end. And so this is a psalmist who is telling himself, don't forget God's benefits. Don't forget his blessings. Don't forget his forgiveness. Don't forget this healing, this restoration. Don't forget his deliverance. You notice those are all negatives, right? How God takes care of these problems. But what about the positives? And I'm going to pause here in this, this next phrase for a moment. What does God do for us at the end of verse 4? He crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. We'll tease out these words here for a moment. What is this loving kindness that, that God is talking, that the psalmist is talking about? These are rich terms, brothers and sisters. Deep, meaningful ideas, loving kindness. In the Hebrew, it's the idea of chesed. It's this idea of someone who is loyal to someone else. There is a deep relationship, a covenant relationship between two people. Sometimes between a king and his people, other times within a family context. But this is this deep covenant relationship. And based on this covenant relationship, this person acts in loyalty. They always keep their word. And so when God has loving kindness, he has a love that stimulates him to act out of loyalty to us, his people, because he has made promises to us. God is the kind of God who keeps his promises. He remembers his promises and he does not forget his people. And so because our God is a God of faithfulness and loving kindness to us as people, he is committed to us. This is portrayed in a variety of different ways. Isaiah described, or Jeremiah describes this in chapter 2, verse 2. God is talking to Israel and he says, I remember concerning you the devotion, the chesed of your youth and of your betrothals. He's helping Israel remember the beginning of, of Israel as a nation coming out of Egypt, being close to God, praising God for bringing them through the Red Sea, and their joy and their devotion to him. There was a deep covenant relationship there between them. Not only is there a love, and, and that is pictured in our days, how is that pictured? Well, think of a scenario where two people make, they sign a contract, essentially, a legally binding contract because they are devoted to one another out of love. That, that doesn't quite fit, you know, a, 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 an athlete signing a contract with a team. They can trade him and, you know, he can, whatever, walk away from his contract and forfeit money. It, that's, it's more than just signing a loan for a bank. The bank is not loving us. They're just loving our money and our interest. 
or loving perhaps the new item that we bought, maybe the best interaction of that would be a husband-wife relationship. Before God, two people stand in his presence committing to love each other until they die. That is a tremendously deep covenant relationship full of very serious promises that frankly no one can keep apart from God's help. And it's, it's declared out of love for the other person. And so when we think of God's loving kindness, his love for his people, it is a deep love-based covenantal relationship that he promises to keep to us as his people. Praise God for his loving kindness to us. Not only that, we talk about his compassions. This is in describing an impulse to help. This is the backdrop, not so much of a covenant, but of one person seeing another person in need and having this impulse to help them. One person has something, the other person needs something. I'm going to help you out in some way. That's the idea. So we would say this is not so much heartfelt devotion as it is heartfelt emotion. This heart response, this impulse, oh, 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 let me help you. Oh, this is terrible. We see Jesus displaying this in the Gospels. He has compassion on the crowds because they are sheep without a shepherd. They don't have food to eat. They need someone to teach them. And so he steps up. In this case, it is a compassion that God has for his people. I can remember that uh, earlier this year, earlier this spring, we had a birthday party for one of my kids. It was an outdoor Nerf soldier birthday party. Like the ultimate, you know, six-year-old dream birthday party. And we had the obstacles, and we had other parent volunteers to help us out. And then it started to rain. And it was a cold rain. And some of the kids were dressed for the morning, which was warm and cheery. And then as the party goes on, you know, it's like, oh, but, oh, this is terrible. Oh, here comes the rain. Here comes the wind. And pretty soon you have little four-year-olds shriveled up like little, you know, mushrooms sitting on a chair outside, and they're just like, paralyzed in their chair and the impulse is oh okay here here here, here take take this coat right oh poor thing here let me keep you warm let me have this compassion this parental impulse let me help you and we'll see how god our our our, our heavenly father has this compassion for us as his people praise god for his loving kindness and his compassion we'll go back to that verse because we want to notice this he crowns us with these things. He gives it to us. He says, here, take a tiara. Let me declare your royalty. Let me lavish you with my loving kindness and my compassion. Let me reassure you of my deep heart commitment, my devotion to you, and my heart love, my impulse to help and to stoop and walk alongside of you. My soul, bless the Lord who crowns me with loving kindness and compassion. And as a result of this, my years are satisfied. God does give good gifts, as, as Dominic reminded us about earlier. Our youth can be renewed like eagles don't ever stop flying. Once they start, they just go forever, it seems. Majestic and unending. We can have the joy of the Lord be strength. It doesn't mean it's an easy life. It doesn't mean it's a happy-go-lucky life. But it does mean it is a deep life, a joy-filled life, because it is life in the presence of a good God, life in the presence of a loving Father. And so there are many reasons that we as individuals can praise our God. I'll point us to a few other verses that, that really highlight this idea. 
Um, Exodus 34 is where God has revealed himself to Moses. Probably one of the foundational passages in the Old Testament about the character of God. But as God passes in front of him, God demonstrates his glory through his, his, his character. What is God like? That makes him glorious. He is the Lord God. He is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. And he's abounding, overflowing in loving kindness and truth. And verse 6 focuses on who God is, what he is like. He is a God who is full of compassion and grace. Not rash, not impatient, not overly frustrated. And overflowing with love and a desire to help his people out. And he is a God of truth. Verse 7 shows how he demonstrates his character towards two groups of people. He keeps his loving kindness, his covenant loyalty for thousands, perhaps thousands of generations. And he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. When his people turn to him, we'll see more in Psalm 103 in a moment. When we turn to him, he responds toward us in loving kindness for thousands of generations. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. The wicked do not get away with it. He is a just God. In addition to healing, he brings justice. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Amazing legacy that parents can pass on to their children and grandchildren to the thousands of generations. And we see also Lamentations 3.22, as, as Rex read for us earlier today. The Lord's loving kindness is indeed never cease. His compassions never fail toward his people. And so we can praise our God on an individual level. I'll mention it just in passing some situations where this can be a challenge to fathers today. Is it a challenge to be a godly father, a godly husband today? To show covenant loyalty to our families and our wives? It is a tremendous challenge. Our society has built in this expectation that you do not need to be faithful to your marriage vows. You do not need to be faithful to your wife. Choose to love someone else. Whomever you want. Marriage vows, they're optional. They were just wishes. Uh, just love yourself, really. That's all that matters. See how challenging it can be for godly fathers to try to please God. And yet, our Lord calls us as husbands and fathers to love our families selflessly. What does he tell the husbands? Love your wife. Just like you love yourself, we're all selfish. Yes, and it's built in to be difficult. And yet the challenge is, husbands, love your wives because she is just like you. And in fact, Peter says she is a co-heir of eternal life. She is a princess in heaven. Treat her right and love her well is what God's expectation is for godly husbands. And so if we struggle with this, perhaps, as husbands or fathers, what should we do? Let's follow the father. Let's follow the father. Because he is a God of infinite loving kindness and infinite compassion. We see also these corporate reasons for praise. Why else should now we praise God? What does God do for his people as a whole? And Psalm 103 is wonderful because it reflects much of this time now on God's interaction with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. <clears throat> In verses 6 and 7, what does our God do? He delivers the oppressed. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He be known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. What has God done for Moses and Israel? Let's remind ourselves as a congregation, what did God do for Moses and Israel? 
Who can help us out with that? What has he done for Moses and Israel? Guided them, for sure. What else? Delivered them. From what? Bondage for how long? Over 400 years of bondage. And like the, on, the, on the edge of genocide at that point. How did he deliver them? Miracles. What kind of miracles? Provided food and clothes in the wilderness. Before he, before he delivered them, what miracles happened? The water. Yeah, Peggy's the artist. She's showing us. <laughs> the Red Sea splits in half. What else did he do? Three days of darkness. Wait. And protecting them during that time, right? You have storm on the Egyptians, the, the pagans, the unbelievers who hated God and wanted to control his people. He brings righteous judgment on them and he protects and shelters his people at the same time. What else did he do with those plagues? Gnats, flies, bugs, frogs, ugh, storms, water into blood. Notice Jesus turned water into wine. That was delicious. God, when judgment bring, turns water into blood that no one can drink. The scripture is glorious how it works together. All these things that God did, right? He performed righteous deeds for the, the oppressed ones. He did it on their behalf. And he displayed his ways to Moses. You read through Exodus and you're just reminded again and again. He tells Moses and Pharaoh, I'm doing this so you can see how powerful I am. I'm introducing myself on a, a global stage to the world. This is our God. And he works in a tremendous way. And you imagine David and the people that he's singing to in that time period, reminding themselves of the beginning of God's relationship with them. He delivered us. He redeemed us as oppressed people. It's fitting as well today, Father's Day is the same day as Juneteenth, a celebration, a holiday that we should celebrate in a glorious way, the last day that any slaves were liberated, the last slaves were liberated from American soil 162 years ago. It is good to celebrate when God delivers oppressed people. And it is good to see our Father's heart and to see other people who reflect our Father's heart with the same impulse even today. And so our Lord is one who delivers oppressed people. We talked about him bringing them out of bondage in, Israel, in Egypt through a red sea. Can you imagine? Like you've just been released. Hooray, there's, the Passover has happened. God has killed the firstborn of every family in the whole country who did not fear him. And now you and your people are walking out of this country and then you hit a dead end called the Red Sea. And the army is coming behind you, and you see Moses put his staff down into the water, and the wind blows all night while you're protected from the army just a few hundred yards away. The wind blows the water open, and then you're told to walk right into the middle of this, this chasm of water. And God demonstrates his power. And as you go all the way through, you get to the other side, you turn around, you see the army following into this chasm after you, they get stuck. They cannot continue. Their chariot wheels get stuck in mud providentially. Flat tires are providence. And in that moment, God judges them all. You watched with your own eyes how God demonstrated his glory in delivering oppressed people. Praise to God as a people for his deliverance. Can we as God's people praise him for his deliverance? Has God delivered us? Perhaps you were not born in Egypt Perhaps we were not slaves to a foreign power 
who tried to kill us. Maybe closer than we think, but we have been in much deeper, darker bondage. A bondage to sin. We are trapped by our sinful impulses and we cannot escape. We are creating death and destruction for ourselves apart from God. We are in a pit. And because of this, our Lord has taken on himself to come and do tremendous miracles in front of people. And then, greatest miracle of all, to die in our place and pardon that iniquity and deliver us from our own oppression. And now we do not have anybody who needs to tell us you must sin. You have to give in. Now we're free. That's glorious to praise God for as God's people. He delivers the oppressed. He performs righteous deeds. I'll mention again for fathers, we want to follow this father, and there are challenges to being a godly father because our world worships control. Our world worships power. This is what is our idol as a society. If you're powerful, that is what you really want. Dominate or manipulate to get what you want. Be abusive if you have to. Authoritarian control. And yet we're reminded constantly that power corrupts. And even in the home front, it can be possible for a father to be one who is oppressive and not have a heart of a redeemer and one who is controlling and dictating and forcing people to do things that are harmful. And yet Jesus calls us as leaders of our homes to serve and protect and stoop to wash feet and change diapers and just pour ourselves out for the good of those under our supervision. And so, if we struggle as fathers in this way, well then, let's follow the Father. Let's keep following Him. We'll, we'll keep moving forward. So much to cover here. What else does our Lord do? He pardons. And He pardons, notice, not just the sinful people. He pardons the repentant ones who fear Him. What does He do? He, again, is, and we'll see these terms show up again and again. He is compassionate. He has that impulse. Oh, let me help you. Gracious. He's slow to anger, overflowing in loving kindness. That sounds just like Exodus 34, doesn't it? Because it's intended to remind us of Exodus 34. He will not always strive with us or keep his anger forever. There are times where our God, as a righteous father, shows his displeasure, anger, not rage, not losing a temper but true anger at what have you done, and yet it's not a permanent disposition toward us as his people. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward whom? Those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Our God is a God who pardons the repentant. I glory in this. God is a God who addresses the sins of his people. They are not perfect people. And yet, as he addresses the sins and they respond in repentance with fearing God, his response then is to pardon that sin and to remove it completely away, not ever bring it up again. Think back through Israel's history. Did that happen to them? They have just crossed the Red Sea, a few days of journey, and here they are at Sinai to receive these new commandments from God. God gives these commands to Moses on Mount Sinai, a glorious beginning of this new covenant relationship with his people. What, are, what is the nation doing down below? 
worshiping something else. What are they worshiping? A golden calf, a statue of a cow? Well, Moses isn't here. Apparently, he died somewhere, and the God that he was following to lead us is, is AWOL. And we need something else, and the closest other option we have is like the gods back in Egypt. Give us a calf. Give us a symbol of life and blessing and prosperity. And let's make it golden, glorious, the most valuable commodity we have. It's their best effort to replace God. That's reasonable. And they call it Yahweh. This is the Yahweh, the Lord, who delivered you. But then they worship it. And it turns into sin and immorality. And God recognizes his people have turned away from him already. One, just like a day into the new, this new covenant relationship. And Moses confronts them. And there is righteous anger. And people um, are punished for their actions. And yet, when they fear God and they turn to him, he restores, he pardons. In fact, he continues, this is where he reveals himself in Exodus 34. I am a God who shows mercy. I'm slow to anger. And I am, am temporary in anger. I'm slow to anger and then short in anger at the same time. I love the comparisons. Look at the bottom, verse 11. He compares heavens to earth. The heavens are high. The sky is high above the earth. We can't see satellites. They're too high. They're beyond our ability to see. So is God's great loving kindness, his faithfulness toward us as his people. That is the, the height, the extent of God's faithfulness to us as his people. How far is east from west? Well, they're the exact opposite directions. You say, well, yeah, but it's a globe. So, I mean, and I was that skeptical. I was like, yeah, but eventually they run into each other on the other side. Well, in this mind, they're opposite directions of the compass. How far is the east from the west? Well, that's the same direction that God sends our sin. Exact opposite direction from us. Never to come up again. God removes our transgressions. What a reason to praise God for pardoning us as his people. As his children, we can rejoice in his mercy when we repent of our sins. We agree with our father. Daddy, you're right. I did mess up. I tried to hide it from you, but it was such a frustrating week trying to ignore you. You walked in the room, figuratively speaking, and I, and I left the room, and I didn't want to be around you, and you poked me, and I tried to ignore you, but okay, I'll just be honest. Here's where I am. And he says, all right, come here. Let's work through this together. Praise God for pardoning iniquities. Praise God for pardoning the repentant. It is still a challenge for fathers it is a challenge for us to imitate our father, to be patient with children, be frustrated if they are incompetent or they don't know how to do it yet. We can be tempted to live our dreams through our kids, to hold grudges against our wives, to not be a father like our father who is slow to anger and patient. And yet God calls us to raise our children in the nurture, the care, instruction of the Lord, not to frustrate them with impossible demands and then mock them because they couldn't do it yet no god calls us as fathers to follow him follow the father in a gracious way and so as godly fathers this is something that he calls us to do last thing that we are called to praise for in a, in a corporate sense is because he sustains the weary and this is what we read earlier at the beginning of the sermon what does our god do for us now he sustains us just as a father has compassion on his children so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord has compassion. Now notice, 
it's not just a father's compassion on children. It's compassion on his children. When I'm at back at my son's birthday party and I see all these little wilty mushrooms sitting on the chairs all over this field and they're cold and freezing, who am I probably going to go to first? My kids. Oh, buddy, oh, so miserable, aren't you? Here, let me help you. The father's impulse, the paternal, godly father's impulse is to take care of his own. I'm going to protect my family, my flock. So just as a father would have that compassion, God has compassion, that same compassion on those who fear him. And we see another word picture here. He knows our frame. He is mindful that we are only what? We are dust. Isn't that a great compliment? You're a wonderful bag of dust today. I love how you painted your dust face. <laughs> Terrible. And David and his people are reminding themselves of Adam made from dust. They are walking through a desert. They are covered in sand all the time. They feel mighty dusty and sandy and nasty. And even in our best days, verse 15, we're like grass. We're a flower of the field. Look at my glory as a human being. And yet the wind passes over it. The flower's gone. The grass is uprooted. And no one remembers it. Can you remember the names of your great-great-grandparents? All eight of them. No one can, probably. And yet they live just as meaningful lives as we, as we have and we will. And so it's a reminder of human limitations. And yet the place acknowledges it no longer. But, verse 17, what about God? Does God die? Is he uproot? Does he fade away? Does he drift no, his loving kindness is eternal from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. God keeps his faithfulness to us and the succeeding generations after us. You're worried about your kids and what the world is going to hold for them. It's okay because God's going to be there still holding their hands when we are not. And it is even to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Again, this reminds us of Exodus 34. He keeps his covenant to thousands, perhaps thousands of generations. And so we praise our God that he sustains the weak and the weary ones. When they're exhausted, when they're overwhelmed, when they're frustrated, he sustains them. Did Israel experience that? All the time. 40 years of wandering through a wilderness hoping that the next day they would still get manna, another round of daily bread, needing more water, needing more protection. Miraculously, their sandals don't fall apart, walking in the same pair of shoes for 40 years. This is God sustaining weak people, weary people. Surely they could praise him for his daily faithfulness to, him, to them. Can we praise him for sustaining us? Well, let's ask this. Are we weary? Yes. Are we still here today? Yes. Every day we can praise God at the end of the day. Thank you, Lord, for helping me to survive today. I've got to, I don't want to relive the day, but at least I'm here now. Thank you for helping me today. Thank you for sustaining me and keeping me strong. I'm heading into that meeting. I have that conversation that I'm not looking forward to. Dear God, Father, please help me right now. I need your help. Oh, Lord, this body is fighting me again. Please give me grace right now. Please, Father, help me. And he sustains the weary with his infinite resources. Praise the Lord. Now, as fathers, it's a challenge for us to do this because 
Our society pushes us, especially in the city, we have to be working nonstop to keep up with everything. There's so much to keep on top of, and we get drained and stressed. And then the commute, we're not going to talk about the commute. We finally get home, and we're exhausted, and then there are people all around us demanding our attention. And they've been waiting to talk to us all day. We need their help. It is hard to give and give and give again. You just want to give up or just give in instead. But you come home and then God calls you to serve your family, to do the dishes, to pour yourself out for them. God calls for the leader to be the chief servant, for the first to be last. It is impossible to be a godly father by ourselves, and yet we can ask him to sustain us and give us grace. And so we can follow the Father. Psalm 103 finishes then with this glorious cosmic summons to praise. The psalmist began by talking to himself in the mirror, but now he turns away from the mirror and he's just talking to everybody. And here's the reason why, because God has universal sovereignty. This God is a perfect Father. You know why? For firm control of everything, and it is a good control he is a great God, we're often reminded, and a good God. He has established his throne in the heavens. His sovereignty rules over all. He sees all. Our Lord has ascended to heaven. He will come back a second time with perfect justice. And until then, he is monitoring everything. And he still presides over it all. He is still intervening on behalf of his people on a daily basis. And so his throne is unthreatened by any right now. There is a universal sovereignty for God. And so because of that, let's just tell all of creation to join in. Bless the Lord. Angels, can you imagine you and me talking to angels? Angels, keep blessing God. Keep blessing God, you angels. You mighty in strength, performing his word, obeying the voice of his word. All his hosts all of the angelic realms, we are called in this psalm to tell them to keep praising God. They're serving him. They are perfectly serving him. They are mightier than we are, and yet in one sense we can encourage them, keep doing it. He is still glorious. He is still the king. It is worth it to still worship this powerful God, this sovereign one. And we turn our gaze away from angels and the heavenly host. Perhaps you look at all creation around us. Hey, birds, keep chirping. Sun, keep shining. Wind, keep blowing. All works of his, all places of his dominion. And then we turn back to the mirror again at the very end. And my soul, you too. Let's keep blessing the Lord. Keep praising God for his goodness and all these things. His perfect control, his perfect sovereignty over it all. So there's this cosmic summons to praise our God. We'll finish with a few thoughts here before we're dismissed, before we close in prayer. Let me give you two broad ideas. Let's come to the Father. Do you feel oppressed, overwhelmed, trapped? Do you feel guilty? We don't want to talk about yesterday. Do you feel just worn out? This is where we come to the Father. And God is a perfect Father, is one who redeems who delivers, who restores, he pardons, he sustains us as his children. We fear God. We take him seriously. We revere him. He is, we, we don't joke about our heavenly father. His name is hallowed. And yet, in another sense, he is a personal father. And so we can come into his throne room as his children and 
the Lord Jesus welcomed children and they sat on his lap and he hugged them. And that's a respectful way that they interacted with the Lord. We can come into the presence of our Heavenly Father and be open and honest and frank with him, knowing that he hears, he restores. Let me urge you to follow the Father as well. A lot of this sermon has been um, directed in encouragement toward the fathers in our congregation, but it's not limited to just the fathers. Let me encourage the young men in our congregation. Perhaps God will have you be a father one day. Even now, you have an opportunity to serve and to minister and to follow the Father. And all of us in our church family, there are children in this church family that God has given to our church family. And they look up to you. When they think of Christians, they will think of you. No pressure. (laughs) And it is up to each of us as a church family to model godliness godly manhood and womanhood for our children in coming generations. So you can follow the Father in your own relationships, in your own church community. Where has God given you responsibility? Where has God given you leadership? Where has God given you a a calling that is difficult, where you find yourself impatient and frustrated and clinging and grasping at control of things and so worn out you just stop caring? This is where God can empower you to follow him. Let's follow our Father in all of these different relationships. I'll ask us to bow our heads and close our eyes for a few moments. It is good for us to talk to God right now in response to what he has spoken to us. I'll encourage you, perhaps, to turn to him and confess sin, things that he's just shown you. Oh, Lord, I am such a rebel child i've been running away from you i've been trying to ignore you or father i've not reflected you well at all my family would not see christ when they see me maybe there are things you just want to praise god for thank you lord that you already brought me through sunday thank you that you are sovereign over all thank you that you are a good and a strong father let's take a few moments of responding to him directly And then we'll continue uh, with our service in a moment. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord, for who you are as a stable God. We praise you that you have a heart of commitment to us, heartfelt devotion. Your loving kindness is new every morning. And today you are just as committed to us, your people, as you have ever been. 
We praise you that you do not give up on us. You do not abandon us. You are not absentee from us. But Father, you are right here. And so we praise you for that. Thank you that you have a heart that wants to help us in our bondage, in our desperation, in our weariness. And so we come back to you. And we pray that you, our Father, would continue to lead us as your children. We pray that you would restore us and keep us wise and strong. Thank you for your goodness on full display in our lives. And help us to continue to follow you and imitate you toward those around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.